time with like a period, uh, you know, being, being one of them, Renita being another one. It was just amazing. I loved every single moment of it. And obviously just went by too quickly. I got all the FOMO from looking at the foot. You can sort of judge how well an event has gone um, based on how enthusiastic the attendees were after the event. So if it's complete yeah. radio silence, you kind of get a feeling, okay, you know, what? maybe it was just okay. Yep. If they're blasting it out and they're raving about the event, then you can, you know it's good. Exactly. This whole week has just been like posts from Sosu and look at me with my friends. And um, I remember actually recording a video with Joey and sending it to you, um, you know, because I met Joey on your show. It was just amazing. It was, it was just really good. Good here's 10-year anniversary. Well done, Phil. You know, I loved it. Do you know what? I, I I remember you and Joey sending me the video and I didn't even respond. So rude. Um, but I was I was meaning to do, send you a video back. But then I thought, hang on, I haven't even got Joey's phone on my con- contacts. I was going to stick it in my contacts before I sent the video. And then obviously things happen. You, you, you forget to yeah. do it. So, Joey, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. I will send you a video response. Um, yeah. So listen, um, massive credit to Phil Tuzing and all the Sosu community. I know there's a big yeah. crowd uh, organizing that, but wonderful that they put it on uh, uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And of course, we've got like events rolling out and Unleashed this week as well. Looked amazing. Yeah. So I think we're banging on back on the in-house uh, sort of in-person event scene, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and Van, Van and I were just talking next year. There's going to be a big one in, in SA, right? So um, yeah. I, Cape I Town, early March. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if, if you guys want to get away from the Northern Hemisphere winter, this is your opportunity. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's the 9th of March in Cape Town. It's organized by Sam Hayward. It's called Recruiters Unite. Hung's coming to speak. I believe Mitch Sullivan's coming to speak. I'll be speaking. So it's definitely one to put on your radar. And then throw in a summer holiday too. Yeah, listen, um, March is probably at the time when we're maximum like seasonal depressive disorder in, in <laughs> Europe. Because we've, we've had like five months of grey by then. Um, yeah. And we just can't be like hanging on for the sun that might arrive. Get yourself to Cape Town and spend a week yeah. here. That's what I'm going to do. So I'll see you uh, at Recruiters Unite at uh, on the 9th of March. Okay, cool. Let's uh, let's get on with it. Um, just want to do a couple of sound checks, folks. Um, I want to make sure mm-hmm. everyone can hear me okay here on Crowdcast. Um, if you can hear me on Crowdcast and see me okay, please let me know in the comments. Um, uh, thank you, Ed. Very good. I have it on record or good, reliable input that we're not going live on LinkedIn um, because I am one of these people that complain so much um, that Crowdcast now actually have a direct line to me and they tell me when they think there's a problem. Um, and they ping me like two two and out, two hours before and they said, Hong, you know what? I, I know, you know you go live uh, too, but I don't think it's going to go live on LinkedIn um, because of various reasons, it's going to break. And it has indeed broke. Um, so there is a bug, I'm afraid. Um, so people who are trying to watch it on LinkedIn, obviously they can't see it. Um, I wonder whether anybody who's uh, watching it, oh, Restream is not working. That's right, Rob. Um, so listen, do me a quick favor, everybody. Can you just grab the URL for the Crowdcast and just paste it into a LinkedIn somewhere? Because basically I've sent out an event invited thousands of people and they can't see that so um they're, they're all gonna start complaining to me saying oh, i thought this was happening at two um so yeah that would be really useful if you could tell them uh, to sign into crowdcast and have them uh have them look at it yes there's absolutely a bug and by the way this is no surprise it's live it's live video but it's also uh, like trying to stitch together three different bits of software 
where if one product updates in one place, it's not going to update immediately. Yeah. As we go weekly, there's no stop on Brain Food Live. We're going to catch it on certain moments where basically we can't get in. So I don't think it's anybody's fault per se, but uh, this is the only place that's going to be uh, broadcasting this show for the time being. So share the link in uh, LinkedIn and other places. Let folks know about it. Okay, uh, let's uh, thank our sponsors. Firstly, we always have to do this. Um, this week's one of our like consistently persistent sponsors it is Greenhouse, folks, uh, the most popular ATS on the brain food community as far as we know for the last two years. Um, highly rated product uh, in the top right-hand corner whenever you see one of those, you know, uh, two-by-two matrixes as to the ATSs you want to be using. Uh, so check out Greenhouse. We've got a lot of great content on our website as well. Uh, Green High, uh, Green, Greenhouse Hire uh, is uh, kind of their resource to do that. So uh, check it out. Share the link in the chat stream. Make sure you, uh, uh, if you're looking at an upgrade on your ATS, that is a cool product to check out. Okay, Vanessa Rath, of course, one and only. Thank you so much for joining us, Vanessa. Great to see you as usual. Uh, we were just chatting about Sosu, right? So um, tell me about your talk. How, how did your talk go? Well, I was pretty nerve-wracking. I mean, kind of uh, up on stage early in the morning, opening keynotes. It, it was brilliant. And I actually took a little bit of a slant. I, I, I normally do quite a technical presentation, talk Boolean and X-raying. But I actually went with how do we keep the human in AR? So it was five points, five takeaways that we need to start doing now. I'll give you a little bit of a, a takeaway is that branding, building your brand, being a human being was a big part of what I was um uh, speaking about, and it went down really well. I mean, I was quite surprised. The feedback has been amazing, and I'm beginning to think that in a world of AR, that's maybe the direction to start thinking about more is, you know, personal branding. It's so, so big. Personal branding had a peak in 2010s or so, then it died a death when everyone thought, oh, we have to be authentic. But you know what? AI is going to bring back personal branding in a, oh, in a sure. big way. Like, we might not call it brand PAPD anymore. We'll call it something else, but... Um, we are going to soon reject produced information from almost any source because we can't trust it anymore. In which case, yeah. like, do you have an audience? Do you have that back channel? Do you have the, uh, it's going to be back channels, trusted public channels. You know what? I have no idea what that is. Um, and, and I think you're right. People with audience, yeah. people with, you know, authenticity that way are going to, going to do work very well. So if you're listening to this folks, think about it, look at all of those people in Crowdcast without their, their, their photos on their profile, uh, get, get it uploaded. You, you got to think about it. Um, all right, let's get on with this. Uh, Van, have you, did you read the newsletter from last week? And if so, what was interesting? I did. I did. That's the beauty of an international flat, right? You get to read things like your newsletter. <laughs> so I did hang my, my favorite article that I really just have to share being a visual person, you know, with my side hustle of photography is I love the one by rest of the world, which was all about, and it, you know, kind of what we're talking about today, the stereotypes that AI is putting in front of us. I mean, I'll give you an example. You go to mid journey and you type in and a male Indian and it immediately gives you, you know, a typical Indian male with a big white beard and turban uh, on. And I was just like, that's actually not the case, you know? So it was really, really interesting. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. The other one was um, a street in Delhi and mid journey straight away put in pollution and kind of like a bit disheveled looking. And I was like, that's also not right either. So super interesting and a massive eye opener. Yeah, and it's a beautifully rendered blog as well because it actually oh. just puts in prompts and it shows you in a very inter interactive way what's generated. And I think it's actually one of the most conspicuous examples of bias 
uh, image yep. generation because we, we've all seen uh, you know let's show me a picture of a doctor it's a white man uh, show me a picture yes. of a nurse it's a white woman uh, you know those types of things we understand yeah. that that's very visceral and it's very obvious um, but what do we do about it because it does point to the fact that the information that AI has been trained on ha is indeed biased in this way. Yep. Um, so it's not just the AI is biased, it's that all of the internet is biased. So how do we recorrect for that? It's going to lead us, I think, ultimately in a good place, but it's very well uh, worth our while to take a look at this, particularly if we're in the habit of creating images now. If we wanted to create these stereotypes, we can do that. But bear in mind, as you're pushing it out yourself, you might be contributing to a corpus of knowledge that actually just builds on the stereotyping, uh, whereas, in fact, maybe you want to try and challenge some of this. Caveat to all of this, some of the stereotype may not be incorrect. Um, uh, you know, there there is obviously pollution in 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 every country, but you know, in Delhi for sure. Um, you know, there are like Indian males that look like the the stereotypes. So yeah. it's one of these like, how do we balance between what is definitely real and how do we make sure that we don't just make sure that's the only thing um, that we see from a particular place or a particular uh, identity or a particular thing. So uh, so yeah, definitely worth checking out. It's a really good blog just to crystallize some of the things I think we already know. Um, cool. Exactly. So, so, sorry, just to, before we move on, like, so, so one of the five points that I spoke about um, at Sosu last week was the most powerful weapon that we have sits between our ears. You know, it's our brain. So as human beings, we need to be far more discerning and critical about what is generated by AI and, you know, really look at it through a, a different lens, not just blindly accepting everything that comes back as either correct or we're just going to copy and paste and use it and this is a prime example from an image perspective loved it yeah really good blog and, and you know what i think we'll get there because we're getting to understand now that we can't really trust our own eyes and ears and that in the respect of digital information it's too convincing uh you yeah. remember the tiktok things from with tom fick tom cruise about two years or so ago yes. that was really shocking but you could sort of get it now it's yeah. like, I have no clue. Um, like literally, okay, it could be him. I have no clue. It, it may well be. So the, the the difference between fact and fiction is completely mixed now. Okay, give us uh, another one. Uh, another one. Um, okay, so I love Universum. I'm a big fan of Universum. I, I love the whole employee branding thing. I love that report because for me, um, it was all about the world's most attractive uh, um, employers for 2023. And I love the way it actually segmented it into different industries. And I think that that's really important because everyone assumes that, you know, everyone wants to work for the almighty Apple and Google or Accenture. And I mean, these companies do rank, but it does really depend in which industry where people want to work. And secondly, which age group and at which point people are in at their career journey. So that for me was hugely insightful. I actually went, read through that twice. So that was that was great. Yeah, really useful report. So I think Universum yeah. do this annually and they, they actually do survey, like, I think it might be into the millions, so a really large number of people. And they ask them a pretty broad question, like, who's your favorite employer? Um, and I think, the, obviously, I mean, I criticized it a little bit by saying, you know what, a lot of it is brand recognition, because how much do people actually know it's good to work in Google? It's like, you know, Google, uh, and it becomes sort of floated up as the top thing. Um, however, what is particularly interesting is how they broke it down in terms of the identity of the people making those decisions. Um, so you can start seeing things like gender variance as to how we order 
these these companies or you know per per country why are certain certain industries yep. higher or lower that and in and, and the sectorally as well so very very interesting if you're building an employer brand it's not just the big bang kind of employer brand is how do you sit in uh, against your immediate competitors um like if you're trying to attract people it's either you or competitor a b c or d like how are you fitting in alongside that must read for anybody who is in EB or talent attraction. Cool. Uh, give us one more, Vanessa. So, personal favorite of mine is Toby Kulshank. Cool, cool I know, uh, Kulshaw, sorry, a big friend of the show. I've, I've watched, that's actually how I first met him, was on Recruiting Brain Food. And he put together an article around talent intelligence, which I'm just loving at the moment. It's something that can't be ignored for much longer. I think people have tried to, um, you know, push it to the back burner, but no longer. Um, so really, really interesting insights there. Also breaking down, you know, the history of talent intelligence, you know, which sectors. And um, I think this is where it's going. You know, this is where recruiters and talent sources need to up their game to be able to talk talent intelligence. Because, you know, I have a famous saying that, you know, for everything in life, we can trust in God and for everything else, there's data. And that's what talent intelligence gives us. Um, that is, it's becoming vital. So yeah, yeah, really, really yeah. good one. Saved it onto my desktop and I'm going to use some of the examples from there regularly. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, folks, if you're if you're looking for a group to join, um, do join Talent Collect the Talent Intelligence Collective, which is a group run, run by Toby Culshaw. Um, and uh, it's on Facebook. It's a really good group, just tightly focused on this TI space. Um, and that that's a growing community. So um, what this uh, piece, and I've just shared the link in the in the in the chat stream there, um, is a survey of the community. So they, he's actually gone, and it's something I'm doing, but I'm failing to execute. Uh, but he's actually gone and done this um, and produced a report to describe. Okay, this is basically how big a company gets before they start bringing in talent intelligence resource. Typical size of a talent intelligence team. Um, where where our talent intelligence in terms of sector you know all that type of stuff so very very interesting if you're thinking about creating a specialist function in your in your business um and under or perhaps even thinking about moving into ti as a, as a career path have a think about which types of companies teams seem to support or care about uh this part of t, t uh, talent uh, acquisition um so really cool a survey excellent okay let's get on with it um um vanessa um so uh, this is a this is an interesting topic because it's one of these where i think not many people know too much about um and i include myself in this and, and by the way folks I, I dropped vanessa into this like last minute so she had zero prep so there's no way she's gonna know a huge amount but it's like okay we're starting to see uh, regulation start making its way through the different legal systems that are thinking about AI. We've seen uh, the the, the EU is going to roll out the AI law in 2024. We've seen all kinds of things happening around AI or automated kind of decision making happening state level in the US. Um, and we're starting to understand, okay, this is interesting. Where is the lay of the land when it comes to using artificial intelligence software when you're making decisions on recruiting? Um, and uh, and yeah, I wonder whether you have any thoughts on this. Well, what's the situation in South Africa? Is is it advanced in any way? Is there legislation bubbling on this? How is it all looking for you? 
So to be honest with you, Hung, no, there isn't. There isn't enough. And I think it's because the rapid pace that, you know, Gen AI is, is developing is that legislation can't keep up with it. I mean, to give you a similar example is GDPR was around for about three or four years before South Africa introduced its equivalent. So, you know, we are quite far behind. But even if I look at my clients in the UK and the US, I can see them starting to talk about legislation and, you know, what is safe to feed into generative AI models, what isn't safe, but no one's got a definitive answer. No one's, no one says definitely not this or definitely yes, you can do this, which is a concern because people are just carrying on regardless. Yeah, it's gray area. And I think everyone's in the feeling the same, which is why we've brought, brought in two folks that um, I think are, I, I would trust these two more than, more than most uh, simply because they, they dedicate their craft to, to, to this type of work. Um, and it's int- it'll be interesting to see what they say on, on I guess, the landscape. So the, the objective today, folks, is to essentially have us understand what are the ethical concerns, what are the legal things that are going through the process that we kind of can anticipate will, will be carried, in which case, how do we use AI? What do we got to do to, to kind of stay compliant before we need to be compliant? Because I think the worst thing that can happen is that we, if we start engineering a, a recruiting process or we've become AI enabled and then suddenly some law drops down, oh, all that stuff can't be done anymore. We'll have to rework all, that, all of that pain. Um, yeah. And the, the worst case scenario is that we don't rework that pain and we end up getting slapped with a lawsuit and that could be a devastating outcome. Um, so this is not, yeah, it's not scaremongering. This is just, just looking at where legislation is like percolating through the system and then thinking, okay, if that happens in six months time, what are we going to do about it? Uh, let's bring on our guests. We'll, we'll, we'll see whether they know anything about it. Um, we're going to bring on Bob Pulver. Let me see. How do I do that? Um, okay. So bring Bob on as well. Andrew, I'm going to bring you on simultaneously as well, just to change the reordering. Um, let's have a look where Andrew is should really be able to search him rather easily this is my fault my failure to do anything automated at all but there he is let's grab him there and let's bring him on um excellent just in the meantime it's going to be really interesting to see because different geographies are going to have different legislation which you know when you work globally how does that affect us it's well, hundred percent. I mean, how do you? How if you if you're a global business, like how do you even operate when you yeah. might have conflicting jurisdictions? Who who the heck knows? I, I think we're at the yeah. stage where who the heck knows, but we're going to try and find a little bit more than zero. Speaking to these two uh, gents who we've just brought on. Okay, let's do some intros real quick. Um, so Bob, wonderful to see you. Uh, can you quickly introduce yourself, sir? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Hong. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. All good, man. All right, great. So uh, thanks for having me. Good to see you, Vanessa, Andrew. Um, So my background is uh, actually in large enterprise. I spent over 25 years across IBM and NBC Universal doing various transformation uh, initiatives. So everything from supply chain and process transformation in uh, across different sales channels to what we used to call social business transformation. And then it was, uh, you know, data, big data and all that. And uh, so I spent a lot of time in different divisions, all trying to basically do some type of, of transformation and change. So, uh, so I've got the the bumps and bruises um, to understand some of the implications of of what this sort of AI led transformation uh, really really means for an organization. Um, I also, while at IBM, watched uh, IBM Watson come out of the, the research labs, and so um, have I, I guess I've seen this movie before, right? Where we've we've seen AI, we've seen marketing. Uh, teams take some 
some creative liberties with their terminology, right, to, to really get the, the eyeballs and attention and, uh, and wallet share. And so um, I basically parlayed a lot of that into the, what I call the talent transformation phase, but it's really about how do you combine, you know, human potential and human ingenuity um, and, and the cognitive diversity that's involved there with um, everything that, you know, the, the latest generation of, of AI um, kind of brings to the to the table, but we've got to do that responsibly. I mean, Vanessa gave an example. There's countless examples of where things have gone awry, or where people make assumptions about, you know, the um, you know the results or the responses to their to their prompts in, in a Gen AI case. And um, you've just really got to think a little bit more critically. It's not yet at you know calculator status where you you are confident that it actually gave you the right answer. Um, and so we've just got to really examine this all the way back to the beginning of how these systems were designed, just like we think about privacy by design. So I've, I've grown quite passionate about this space and uh, we'll get into, you know, some of the details of, of my current work, but. Um, what, are, yeah, what is your current work very quickly, Bob? What is it? You yeah, do so, now? yeah. So, um, so really laser focused on responsible AI and that can go in two different directions. One is um, a part of my advisory practice will be, would be helping people to, not just embrace um, technology and modernize, um, you know, how they operate using that to the best of their ability, letting AI do what it does best and still letting humans do what they do best. And, um, but I can also go in and work with uh, advisors and consultancies and come in and actually conduct uh, an audit against uh, current legislation, which right now in the US is just uh, New York City, but um, obviously, as we're, we're going to talk about, uh, there's legislation uh, permeating everywhere in the U.S. It's a patchwork. And then obviously EU AI Act and other areas are really thinking more deeply about this um, with, a, with a human-centric lens. Where is there adverse impact? How do we mitigate as much bias as we can? Yeah, excellent stuff. This is right in your ballpark, Bob. So I'm pleased to have uh, some time with you today um andrew returning guest wonderful to see you again sir uh, can you quickly you. introduce yourself who uh, who you are and what it is you do andrew sure um so andrew godomsky hello and uh hung thanks for having me back vanessa good to see you um and bob nice to uh, meet you uh, i run aspen analytics have done so for the last 17 years uh we're an organization that's been doing started out in human capital consulting uh, and then made a name for ourselves in doing human capital analytics during that time. Most of the clients that we deal with are multinational Fortune 100, Fortune 500, and they have to make sure uh, that they're better, faster, cheaper. They want to use data to do that. We've been merging that data inside and behind their firewalls for a number of years. And then we help them execute the analysis, whether it's talent intelligence uh, as a more of a recent idea, uh, but all the way back to, you know, counting how many positions and over time and how recruiters are doing. That's merged uh, about just over four years ago. I made a shift and uh, and I can't I'm not going to be talking on behalf of the agency, but I joined uh, the Department of Homeland Security and I'm currently the branch chief for workforce planning and strategy uh, for that organization. Uh, it runs the cybersecurity and infrastructure security for the United States. So, wow. although I won't be talking on behalf of them, obviously we've moved. You know, 
my path has moved forward from, from recruitment to analytics to workforce planning and strategy. Um, as it's related to audits, uh, the chief counsel of the Department of Homeland Security lets me keep Aspen Analytics, provided that I do the auditing, which is pretty nice. So I serve as the auditor general for our organization. Um, and what we do is we look at not just artificial intelligence, employment decisions, and the use of that. We also look at wage transparency regulations, wage solicitation, uh, salary history, as well as financial and human capital disclosures that are required by different markets. So we actually execute uh, this concept of one audit for all, where large-scale organizations need to talk to external stakeholders that are regulatory and say, this is what we've done. This is why we haven't executed bias. Or we've done the right thing for pay equity and wage solicitation, or we've executed disclosures to the SEC. Um, that entire landscape is, is, is ever-changing. And uh, so I'm pleased to talk about the artificial intelligence side of that, the work that we do, and then uh, maybe offer some insight on why it's ever changing. Excellent stuff. Okay, folks, I'm really pleased to have you both on the show. Let's uh, let me try and kind of nail this down into some very specific pieces of legislation that it's either going through the sort of process or um, uh, we anticipate it kind of resolving in, in, in some manner. Um, I think, Bob, you mentioned something about New York. Also, uh, I think, Andrew, you mentioned the same. So, so there has been a, uh, what's the, the acronym here? This is about some sort of legislation from New York State, which is saying that if you're using technology that has some sort of component, um, which uh, uh, is a result, some sort of component that has automated decision-making, I think something to that effect, that affects human employment, you need to go through X, Y, Z. Can someone just give me a quick overview as to what that rule is so that we know uh, the audience here knows uh, what we're talking about? Uh, Bob, do you want to give this a shot? Sure. So um, so it is specific to New York City. Um, I think most other legislation is at a at a state or, or you know, federal level. But essentially, it's looking at, uh, so the acronym is AEDT, Automated Employment Decision Tools. Basically, how they define that is any uh, AI algorithmic or autonomous system that is basically filtering uh, candidates in the hiring funnel, it actually applies to promotion decisions as well. Um, and so we'll get into that in a little bit about because those could be different data sources, right? Uh, different teams as well that are actually own that data. but. Um, but really what you're looking for is, is adverse impact against um, the protected categories of um, gender and race and ethnicity, right? So it's nothing, it does not touch on age or other types of uh, disabilities. We've got American Disabilities Act and, and other longstanding legislation around uh, discrimination going back to, I think, the 60s or 70s. But um, but the New York City law is, is specific. It's also specific to either companies operating out of New York City or um, candidates that reside in New York City. And so that's just for those who aren't familiar with the area. Manhattan is one of five boroughs in New York City. So it's not just Manhattan. It's Brooklyn, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Queens. So, uh, so it's a lot of people that could potentially be affected, not just people who have an office space in, in New York City. It could be a global company. You're hiring remote workers. 
you don't care where they live, then they could choose to live in, in New York and they are therefore impacted. So you're looking for adverse impact. So are going by it, uh, basically the four fifths rule that says if you, whatever the majority, um, whatever pool of candidates in those protected in those different categories, uh, whichever one has the highest uh, sort of pass through rate, um, all the other protected categories need to have at least four fifths of that um, of that group, right? So. That doesn't mean automatically that you fail on it. Bob, just interrupt. As a person that's an outsider, not quite familiar with what you mean by this, can you can you break it down a little bit more? Like, what does it mean? Four fifths, four fifths of. Yeah, like, like, if you if you um, if you say that you're going to uh, take a hundred uh, males for an interview, you've got to at least take take at least eighty uh, females. Got it. Right? Got it. So. Um, and same thing with, um, you know, race, right? So you've got to look at what where the adverse impact may be, and then obviously you've got to do more interrogation. It's not just a black and white thing. You've got to look at, you know, what were the the circumstances? Do you have a good logical, justifiable reason for, um, you know, for the fact that there's that disparity? And then, um, you know, you may have something that just needs to be documented in terms of unmitigated risk um, as you move forward. But then. And then you've got to, so you go and you've got to do this audit basically annually. It's got to be done by an independent third party uh, to come in and do that. So that's um, touches on a little bit what Andrew was talking about, how he's able to sort of juggle, uh, sounds like five or six hats there. And, and is this something that's almost like you're testing it out in New York and then you're going to roll it out through the rest of the states? It's a like a test user case or is it something that's going to be unique to that area? Well, I think you could argue that New York City is sort of the canary in the coal mine. I think all the other legislation is going to be different. And so, you know, Andrew can probably talk to that better because yeah, he's looking way beyond, you know, New York City and, and hiring. So, Andrew, you want to? Sure. Before, um, on, sorry, Andrew, before, you, before you, you come in on that, I just want to draw people's attention to what looks like a copy and paste on the chat from Michael Blakely. I think he's referring to this law. And I just want to read out to folks, people know what they're talking about. So this is local law 144, um, and it prohibits employers from using automated employment decision tools to screen a candidate or employee for an employment decision unless the tool has been subject to the bias audit con conducted a year prior. So this is exactly what Bob's saying. You can use this tool, but you cannot use the tool unless it has been audited for, for bias within the last 12 months. So have a think about this. Like you got to suddenly start putting this in your calendar. When was your last audit? Because if you're out of compliance by a day, you're out of. You're, you're going to be. That's illegal. Um, you ca you cannot use that tool or pipe anybody through it. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, sorry, Andrew, you're talking about uh, the wider landscape. Go ahead, sir. I, I think that uh, Bobby Wright, and then I think there's uh, New York City. Kind of is this canary, at least in the United States. What we're seeing is that the genesis of these types of regulatory, uh, one, uh, the councils or um, uh, committees that are being uh, formed in any number of cities, any number of countries, any number of states, they're very unique. They're all different. So uh, in the United States right now, there's several dozen committees that are meeting at the municipal, city, and state level that are saying, we need to get a hold of this. And they're going through uh, the public comment, they've introduced bills, uh, 
um, and they're going through the state houses, they're going through the city councils, and some of them are passing, some of them have been, uh, are pending enactment. So, uh, but it's similar to New York. It's this idea that if you're using some sort of automated engine to identify individuals in your organization for lateral moves and different, it's all about opportunity. So if you're gonna move them laterally, if you're gonna give them a secondment, if you're gonna give them a detail, if you're going to put them on a succession plan or a particular career path, if you're going to mark them for potential exiting during a, a reduction in force, if you are going to hire them and you are thinking about them as, a, as an applicant and putting them through the process, all of that is under the scope of these laws. So a lot of it has to do with fairness and equity. And that's why race, ethnicity, occupation in some case, uh, occupational level in some cases, um, all, all come together. They, they wanna understand you have a hundred applicants who come in, how many have advanced to later stages and did you use some sort of an automated system uh, that uses machine learning, uses some black box algorithm to advance them. And did that happen fairly? Bob mentioned, uh, and in the chat, this was mentioned too, that you have to do this annually in New York City. Right now, the HR technology providers can execute, a bio, uh, execute their own audit. They can get an independent auditor and they can say, oh, look, we have this piece of paper and you client, you're protected. Well, the clock is ticking on that because at, at, after 12 months, you can't rely on the HR tech provider anymore. You've got to run your own data through the system. And so client, employer, has to provide their own audit. They have to usually publicize it or available to a regulator. And candidly, team, if if you and this is kind of the movement for the UK, EU, African, Africa really hasn't kind of got their hands around this just yet in general uh, for that union and then the individual countries. India is on pace. China has is on pace. Australia is on pace. And so they're all kind of carrying this, not necessarily just for employment, but artificial intelligence carries risks in healthcare, uh, industrial systems, communications. And that's how they're kind of all roping this in. Uh, financials too, like do you use automated intelligence to justify giving someone a person uh, uh, a loan from a bank? So realize a lot of this has to do with this fairness. And so like Bob said, you have to run this intersection of race and ethnicity versus gender usually. You have to have that intersection. So it's, you know, it's... Uh, in the United States, I'll use that terminology. Uh, black or African American males, black or African American females, and then you would have all the other intersections. While in the EU, you also have to layer on occupation. So professional, scientific, lightly skilled, unskilled type of workers. And so that's happening everywhere. It's it is a, a, a bit of a bird's nest. It's made up of a lot of different things. Um, I think the trick is for, first of all, we're, we're lacking thousands of people who can do this work. Artificial intelligence governance might have as, I think it has at least half 
of the uh, of the lack of supply of workers like cybersecurity does. It's a tremendous lack. But what's interesting is that it's not going to go away. Um, and I think for the larger organizations, so I'm talking to those who are listening or who are seeing it, if you are a multinational, highly regulated organization that is, on, that is trading on a public market, you can't phone this in. What's going to end up happening is you're going to need an independent auditor. Candidly, I mean, we're in a position where we can go into court and I can act as a fact witness, which is different than an expert witness. And because they're going to be looking at, like in Europe, we're talking up to 60 million euros or 6% of global revenue as, as the penalties and fees. That's just in the, in the EU. Um, but that's the landscape, everyone. It's, it's, it's growing real fast. So that's a really great um, rendition, Andrew. And I love the concept of it being a bird's nest. I think that's definitely true, isn't it? Because there's, there's different legislations that are not talking to each other. It's all like weaving together. But the general trend seems to be that if you're using technology in this way that is affecting human beings in some way, you're responsible for it and you need to audit it. And yet there's no resource. Like, how do we get a real auditor? Like, no one knows how to do that. And there's a, there's a massive lack of resourcing for it. So, like, <laughs> there's, a, there's an industry that needs to be built um, uh, to supply this service, surely, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And if I can, Hung, it's the, the legislation in different places has different rules around auditing. So... In some cases, if you've ever even logged in to that system, so if you logged in to Greenhouse, you can't be an auditor for any one oh. of their customers ever. So if you're a recruiter and say, I'm going to become an auditor. Well, if you've logged in to Greenhouse, you can't audit anybody who's got Greenhouse currently. You probably can't, you can't audit anybody who is tied to their ecosystem. At the same time, if you've ever worked there, you can't audit anybody who has them. All right, so there hang, are hang on. So, all right, this, this sounds terrible, Andrew. I've got to be honest, because what this is pointing to is that we, we might end up getting a load of auditors that do not understand industry, don't understand domain, start rolling into companies and saying, yeah, you're using this in a, in a bad way, quote unquote. Whereas we're recruiters who are saying, you know what, well, actually, we've got this thing here that does that. And you know, do you actually understand what we're trying to do? Like, what is the risk that we might actually get very harshly audited by experts in auditing, but non-domain experts in recruiting? I mean, is that a live risk for us right now? Yeah. Bob, you want to take that one first and then I'll comment? Yeah, I mean, I think that it would have been nice if they put some other um, stipulations and just saying it's an independent third audit because you're right. Anyone can go take, you know, I don't know, try to get up to speed and, and um, you know, have somebody, I mean, you could basically just slap it on, you know, another bullet point on your, on your website and say, you know, I'm happy to come in. I don't know you and I don't know them and, you know, I'll come in, I'm independent. Right. Um, I personally went and got a, a certification from an accredited nonprofit um, I was just talking to, to the leader of that nonprofit yesterday about this. It's like, well, if you going back to this concept of trust, which is underpins all of this, um, why would you trust 
somebody that just, you know, overnight became an auto. I mean, at least you've got something that says, um, I know the rules. I abide by a code of conduct. Um, I understand how to um, go in and, and what to look for and, and all of that. But I think Andrew also pointed to this clear separation. I mean, the, the ethics includes having that, that, you know, avoiding that sep that uh, conflict of interest, right? So you can't have any relationship with any of the parties. New York City puts the onus on the the user of the technology, so the client. Uh, but other legislation um, could fault the the vendor in in the future. I mean, yeah. part of the message here is be proactive. Don't worry. You know, the scope of New York City may be just you know age and um, and ethnicity, excuse me, uh, uh, gender and uh, race and ethnicity, but others may take a different tact and they, they're going to go beyond hiring and da da da. So you've got to really take this holistic, um, you know, viewpoint that if we're going to be proactive and we're not going to constantly be sort of reacting and worrying or whatever, I mean, this is a risk mitigation and, and almost insurance policy to say we're doing the right things and we're going to be transparent about it. And I will say, I wasn't at HR Tech last week, but I read a bunch of the sort of, um, you know, debriefs and, and recaps and stuff like that. And I saw a theme, which I predicted uh, when I gave people advice who were going, you're going to hear AI messages left, right, and center. Um, it's unavoidable. And But ask these types of questions. Are you doing things responsibly? Where'd you get the data? How did you train and test this system? the audit is going to look for uh, the data. It's got three sort of domains. You're going to look at the, the data itself. You're going to look at the algorithmic inputs. How was the model created? How are these different attributes, you know, weighted? And then what were the outcomes? As Andrew uh, was talking about before, what, what were the, what's the outcome? What were the actual hiring decisions? Or even the, you know, as you move through the stage gates of your hiring funnel, who got, who got dropped and was, were there legitimate reasons for those people to get dropped out. So, I mean, the audit, the statement that was uh, posted in the chat, um, I just want to clarify something. The, the New York City rule went into effect on July 5th of this year. So it basically means you have until, I guess, July 4th next year to get this yeah. audit done. So every, you know, ATS and, and, you know, interview intelligence tool or assessment tool that's coming up with some numeric score that allows you to stack rank and and filter um, is a, is a target of this um, legislation, right? So, um, but in the future, maybe it expands, or maybe you just want to be a good ethical company who is building these models with uh, responsibility and ethics in mind, you know, by design, and that's that requires um, almost an upskilling of of everyone, because everyone is now touching. AI in, in your organization, uh, including perhaps deskless uh, workers. This isn't just about knowledge workers either. Bob, uh, thank you for that. I want to roll you back to how you framed the conversation on the audit, because I thought that was actually a really useful, just a mental framework. Suddenly it clicked for me when you said this. Uh, so you can look at it in three sort of domains. So firstly, what is the the, the, the data you've trained it on. So are you sure you have mitigated bias on the training data? If you're using it in some way, have you figured this out? 
Secondly, what is the, you've got to do an algorithmic analysis, like look at the algorithms and say, look, um, are, are these uh, sort of debiased in such a way that regardless of what the data is doing, are you comfortable with the usage of the, the algorithms? And thirdly, it's about the outputs, which is, okay, having put all of these people through the system, like what are we spitting out at the end of this? Are we comfortable with what that looks like? So the audit, I mean, do you know that the audit is going to be looking at these things or are you, is it, is it your, your thoughts? You're both nodding your head. So how do we know this is what the audit says? Is there some place that tells you this is what you've got to cover? Um, or or is, is, your, is, your, is your kind of best guess, gents? Like uh, how, how do we know this? Can be subjective is what I want to throw in there. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, I think all these legislations are, are looking at the conversion levels from one stage to the other. I think that's a that's a general that's general, whether it's around corporate and sustainable uh, social responsibility. Right. So EU is talking about that um, and they're talking about high risk employment uh, while in the states uh, we're talking specifically around fairness and pay equity and so on. Hung, you and I have talked about in the past this concept of, of the vowels, A-E-I-O-U-N-Y. And so I think that, that that is this concept where you have applicants, you have those who are evaluated, the E, those who are interviewed by the hiring manager, I, those who are offered employment, the O, those where it's unnecessary to advance. So at some point in the process, they've been, they've been removed, uh, they've left. Uh, the job's been filled another way. It's been canceled. Uh, and then this concept of yes, who was eventually said yes to it and they were brought on board. For all of these, if if you can get to the real data in an unfiltered way, and that's really important, you just can't like send it to an auditor and like, oh, I hope the auditor knows what they're doing. And oh, by the way, I downloaded this data. Really the auditor probably needs to go into your systems and get unfettered access so it's not tainted. But you measure what's the conversion rates of all these all these different demographic intersections. The 40 the 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 four-fifths rule is is one thing that we look at. We're looking at the counts and the conversions. Um, we then run a different, we run another set of models. We'll do first and uh, we'll do one and two standard deviations. And that helps us understand whether or not an organization is executing bias. First of all, in general, forget the, the automation, just in general. Then you have to then say, okay, for this automation, these automation and artificial intelligence tools, do I have proof that we're using them? And not every company is using them for every single job. Realize that there's plenty that don't. But you've got to be able to run through this conversion and show the data, do it in an unfettered, unfiltered way by a third party. And uh, you've got to be able to publish that. Um, I would suggest to organizations that they have this running on an ongoing basis. We're working with business intelligence tools to actually embed this into their systems. So... You can have an, a regular report similar to in the states where you have an EEOC report, but it's um, that's kind of the the overall reaching for all of this is understanding those vowels and then looking for the different models that would show the bias or show the deviation. And once you have that piece of paper, 
if a regulator comes at you and says, we you know, we've gotten complaints, realize that all these regulators have got a complaint incoming system. Someone goes on to New York City or New York State or Illinois or in the EU and says, I was mistreated. And they go to like a website and they put that out and the regulator gets a flag. And so they do an investigation. Sometimes they go after companies just because they're big. Um, but you have to realize how, how this bird's nest cascades. As soon as an organization is publicly announced that they're under investigation because there's so many other regulators, they're going to sniff that out. And so as soon as someone in New York, as soon as New York says this organization is under is under uh, under investigation or they've been fined, EU wakes up and says, hey, let's see what's going on here because this is a big multinational. I don't think people understand that's how these regulators are going to probably work. They're going to tag team and they're going to naturally cascade. So whether it's this year, next year, the year after that, we have to do this as an we have to do this if we're in recruitment and employment. It's not, it's not even a it's a must-have. It's not a one, it's not a maybe have. On on that note as well, in terms of regulator regulators' behavior, I think you're absolutely right, Andrew. It's almost like they, they want to get a big fish, don't they? Like they want to get a they want to they want to score uh, on this. I mean, I think this is quite a human thing to do when you go and audit someone like there is an interest in trying to justify what your role is. And hey, we called them, they're doing, doing bad things. Um, so if you find a target or you've made yourself a target, you can expect a, a shark swarm to come at you. Um, it does, doesn't, doesn't feel friendly at all. Um, if, <laughs> if I could make a comment about that, I, I think that some really large organizations, they've taken the, the path, whether it's corporate responsibility or disclosures, they they go ahead. They you know a regulator comes at them and says you didn't do the right thing. This is just not employment. This is in general. And so those organizations say, okay, we got caught, and they go ahead and write a big check, four million, ten million dollars, because they're not as concerned about it. The EU Act has got some weight, um, but I think where the where the real issue is, and not these thirty billion dollar companies, it's in this one hundred million to maybe a couple billion organizations, talent acquisition leaders, CHROs, they are flat-footed for this. And you know, you get a company with a couple hundred million dollars and then all of a sudden there's hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in fines. You know, that gets to the board fast. Um, sometimes you're big enough just to pay, but a lot of companies aren't big enough to pay and a lot of talent acquisition leaders don't want that on their resume no this yeah. this this sounds generally like bad news let's let's go into how we mitigate but I, I just noticed sort of the time we're flying past this folks we have to take a mini break because we always do this in the middle of every show uh this is the opportunity for us to continue the conversation when brain food comes off air because we do have to come off air in about 10 minutes um, so if you're interested in this conversation or you've learned something from our wonderful guest today, uh, now is the time for you to connect with everyone who is participating in this conversation. So take a moment, grab your LinkedIn URL, share it in the chat stream, and then connect with everyone else who's done that. 
Um, hopefully you'll walk away 20, 30 connections, uh, connections with Andrew and Bob as well. Um, and you can learn from them as you simply go forward. I think it's one of the most important things we can do in, in this community is to make sure we are well connected. Um, so this is hopefully a good way for all of us to do that. Um, I'm sorry for all those folks that would have been doing this on LinkedIn, but we're going to keep it on Crowdcast right now. So, um, mitigating factors i'm terrified now having to listen to you two i'm thinking oh my god i'm out of, Me too. I, I, yeah like well, I'm, I'm throwing what? my computer away because i can't i can't be at risk of using ai i'm back on the phone so okay realistically what are the steps to take like how do we is it so firstly no one's recommending doing your a self audit that is going to be pushed anywhere but it might be useful for you to do it just as an exercise to understand what it is you need to be covering so that when a, an external auditor comes in, you've actually got as many things sort of sorted out in your case. Um, mm. uh, it's similar to having a, a financial guy internally. Um, that person is thinking like an auditor and thinking, right, I've got to just have this in place so that when an external guy comes in, I know this is sorted out. Can we give any, are, do, are we confident enough to give any recommendations right now to CHROs or CEOs even in terms of the steps they need to be taking in anticipation of, on the, of the knock on the door uh, in 12 months' time or however many, many months' time there is. Any thoughts on this? Go to you, Bob, first. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that, that you can do. First of all, you know, when you go back to, when we talk about um, thinking about these things, you know, by design, I mean, just like we think about privacy by design, cybersecurity, you know, by design, I think you need to make sure that you know, the product development teams, the product management teams actually um, are, are thinking deeply about this. I mean, maybe those the first people who should really be not necessarily, you know, sort of certified, but, you know, they've got to have that that awareness and then they can uh, make sure that they're doing the right things as they build um, some of these things, because everyone is just, especially if you're a small, you know, startup, you're just, you're just throwing stuff out there and seeing what's, what stick, but you're not really doing it in a really thoughtful um, you know, critical way where you're examining everything that you're doing and then everything, everyone else is taking it at, at face value that uh, this, this is cool. It's helping me, you know, address this problem or, or work faster or whatever um, without thinking about what's going on behind the scenes. So I, I think there's a general awareness that starts with people who are actually creating this. Um, I do think there's a, I don't want to add to that compliance training that everyone has to go through uh, when they onboard a company and, and annually, but you kind of should, right? Like you're going through, you know, data, you're thinking about data privacy, you're thinking about, um, you know, bias, you're thinking about discrimination, you're thinking about all these things that are already part of your compliance training. Why would this not be uh, part of that? So I think there's some foundational things that organizations can do. The other thing I would say is part of, um, the certification and the training that I went through with this nonprofit really talks about um, ethics and risk committees within organizations. And right now, only the people who, you know, the big deep pocketed, you know, vendors, Fortune 500 companies and, and really uh, leaders in this space. I mean, even my old employer, uh, IBM is doing a ton of work in responsible AI, AI ethics, things like that. Some of my old colleagues are actually running those groups. So, I would say uh, if you want to get started and really have to start having the conversation about what all this means, you could start to cross, you know, cross pollinate from different domains and, and get some cognitive diversity into those types of teams. It's not just the lawyers, not just your GRC teams, but really have that diverse perspective 
and lastly, um, Andrew touched on this, but you need to get to your data guys and I really understand where your posture is. So that's um, get data from, from your recruiting operations team, get data from your talent intelligence team, get data from your people analytics team. Those guys should all be a triumvirate, you know, all, you know, coalescing all of this. And then you can do what you were alluding to Hong, which is don't do an official, it's not a, an official audit, but do an assessment, the same tools that could assess those things for um, in the, in an actual audit. Uh, I mean, I have, I'm partnering with a, a platform called fairnow.ai um, who are going to enter because I don't have all the, all the, the tools and um, infrastructure that, that Andrew has at, at his disposal. So I'm partnering with someone who has that platform that could be implemented to do continuous monitoring, um, but you could also just use it to go in um, and see exactly what the situation is. Um, and so I will use them as my partner, whether I'm coming to you uh, as an advisor uh, on the pre-audit side, or I'm coming in ex explicitly to do and conduct the audit. And those are two different things. I can't you know, do both of those things for the same uh, client in the same audit period. Um, but, uh, but I would leverage that kind of capability to interrogate the data and the algorithms, et cetera, um, whether I'm helping on the advisory side or the audit. I, yeah. I've got a couple hung, I'll be fast. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Number one, understand if you're actually capturing these stages. It's been my observation that recruiting and human resources do an awful job of saying, I inter we interviewed, we evaluated right there in the ATS. So if you've got, I mean, come on, we all know that we stink at it. So make sure you're doing that because the only thing you've got is the record of data. If you never mark that you interviewed somebody, guess what? In the audit, you didn't. So run an analysis of how much the black hole is happening, how you're actually moving people through the process. Really encourage the use of automation or sweating the assets that you have. So that's one. And any talent acquisition leader should be able to pull that together with Excel, okay? The second is understand the other stakeholders in your organization that are looking at AI, right? So you're not the employment isn't the only place this is happening. This is happening, you know, in legal, this is happening in finance. They're all doing analysis, understand where those players are. And I think the third is do a quick understanding and a quick scan of where you're susceptible. If you have talent in the EU, if you have talent in New York, if you're a multinational, this risk is getting bigger. And I think you need to stay ahead of that. Um, put this as part of a strategic annual analysis and tie it back to real business risk. A lot of times people in human capital, HR, there's all this, we gotta do a better workforce. We have to be more diverse all the way up at the top. Now's our opportunity to say, well, we need to de-risk ourselves. And, and do the right thing. And we've got legislation and regulation that's gonna help us get better at that. Don't let that sitting, don't let that sit just in HR, get that all the way up and, and be responsible to, to carry that accountability. Yeah, that's really, really good. So much food for thought here, folks. Um, I wanna close with a few more thoughts on this. Um, so firstly, I can't help think about the recruitment opportunity 
Um, because the, evidently there's a shortfall of labor. Evidently there's going to be a mini industry that's available. And you can imagine we're talking predominantly on U.S. Uh, sort of uh, jurisdiction here, but it's going to be a global scenario. You, uh, and particularly because it is local jurisdiction, you're going to get experts that are just tied to local markets. So that is a recruitment need. Someone should be setting up an agency trying to recruit these folks or to train them. Um, I think you'll make some money there. Um, secondly, um, I think it's also um, important just to monitor where these laws are kind of uh, starting to emerge. I'm going to share something on the newsletter on Sunday, which is trying to aggregate legal cases um, coming through various jurisdictions. And it will kind of track them and say, look, this is happening here. This is happening at this stage. That's just you got to just keep on top of that because you've got to know what the implications are when the case law basically when cases become law, that sets a precedent and then suddenly it becomes a lot easier for uh, for other people to make similar claims and for, for companies to be subject suddenly uh, to to the to the, the, the eye of Sauron. I can't, I can't help mm -hmm. but think of it very much like that um so um so yeah that's my thoughts on it i think it's something we've got to keep keep an eye on obviously this is uh, an ongoing concern and, an, and a dynamic space it's going to change over time so i'd love to get you two back on this maybe get some other people to commentate i'd love to see the emergence of the ai auditor person um yep. so maybe we'll, we'll get one of those sure. folks on at some point uh, but we, we've got to leave it there because we're out of time so thank you uh, andrew gadomsky for joining us thank you bob paul for joining us thank you of course vanessa raff for stepping in and being co-host uh we'll leave it here for now thank you everyone for joining as well on crowdcast we're going to be back next week we're going to be talking recruiter use cases for chat gbt part four uh because uh, the last time we did a part three was six months or so ago, and that's like another eon. So since that time, all kinds of crazy things have happened. We're going to go back and just review it. We've got some wonderful people in to say, okay, this is what you can do with AI. Probably all of it out of compliance, as we now know. However, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be examining how we're doing it. Make sure you register and sign up for that, and we'll see you all next week. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Van. And thank you, everybody. Thanks, son. That was great. Yeah, that was good fun, wasn't it? Ah, oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, everybody. Um, uh, it was, uh, I thought, a great, great session. My head is spinning, uh, as usual, because uh, I'm out of my depth. Um, but uh, I should be getting used to that by now. Um, all right, listen, have a good weekend, everybody. I'll, uh, I'll see you next week.